0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today, it is my absolute pleasure to introduce our next guest, Pat Combs. Pat is a loving and dedicated husband and father. He is the Senior Vice President of Consulting for Teamalytics and the Chairman of Combs Capital. With all of that said, we can't begin to tell Pat's story without talking about baseball. He grew up a top left-handed pitching prospect in Texas, played Division I baseball, played on the 1988 gold medal winning United States Olympic baseball team, had a great career in the major leagues playing with both the Philadelphia Phillies and the Milwaukee Brewers, and now channels all of that experience into working with coaches, parents, and players in youth sports, as well as coaching executives and business leaders through Team Olytics. He's the author of the book, More Than the Score. And today, I'm so excited to have a conversation with Pat, learn from his leadership experience, his business experience, his coaching, his parenting experience, discuss key lessons from his book, and really talk about some of the real important concepts, not just for coaching leaders, but also coaching youth sports and creating the best experience for our children in that environment as well. So much to talk about, so little time. I can't wait to start this conversation with Pat. Of course, before we get started, I do want to thank our sponsors. Please check out Humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off the industry leading the standard for online self-paced training to understand what people are likely thinking and feeling in the context of any conversation by accurately identifying how their emotions and mental states are changing through their facial expressions and nonverbal verbal. Communication. I can vouch for their training. I've taken it all myself. I highly recommend Dr. Matsumoto's work and all of their training over at Humantel.com. Check it out and enter the code in of 25. While you're online and learning, head over to Emotional Intelligence Magazine at ei magazine.com for their in depth library of resources all related to emotional intelligence articles, podcasts, interviews, books, webinars, live events, and beyond. Please check out Emotional Intelligence Magazine. And of course, for the professional interviewers, head over to certifiedinterviewer.com to learn more about the International Association of Interviewers. Check out their resources, their networking opportunities, their in-person events, their online events. Learn more about the organization. Is it a right fit for you and your organization? While you're there, check out the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. Do you qualify? What's the process? Is that something that's right for you at this juncture in your career as well? So when you have the time, if you're a professional interviewer, absolutely head over to certifiedinterviewer.com and check out our friends at the International Association of Interviewers. Thank you all for taking the time to listen today. We truly appreciate it. I'm really excited about this conversation. So without further ado, I introduce to you, Mr. Pat Combs. Good morning, Pat. It is so great to see you. Thank you for taking the time to be here today.
1: Oh man, Michael, what what a treat. Thank you for the invitation and look forward to our conversation today.
0: Uh, The pleasure is entirely mine. We met earlier this summer through a a mutual client and I very, very much appreciate you already taking the time to share even more with our listeners than you had shared with me when we were together in Massachusetts. Before we get started, I learned a little bit about you when we had our time together, but just to give the listeners a little bit of the Cliff Notes version, because you've been so many places and done so many things about your background to kind of level them up to the perspective that our conversation is going to flow from.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Michael. It's it's kind of a crazy background. I mean, I started, uh, you know, I grew up in the Houston area, started playing baseball at a young age and, and, uh, you know, found out in high school I I was fairly good. Uh, Just from the standpoint of being a left-handed pitcher, I was able to throw hard. And so I got a lot of attention and uh, ended up using Baseball to leverage uh, myself into college. Went to Rice University in Houston for a year, then transferred to Baylor. And it was at Baylor I had a great coaching relationship with a guy who really helped kind of transform my career and uh, launched me into being drafted in the first round by the Phillies in uh, 1988. Prior to joining uh, the Philadelphia Phillies, I played on the U.S. Olympic team. And uh, that was the first year that the USA won gold in baseball back in 1988 in the Seoul Olympics. So a tremendous experience playing for my country, and then obviously uh, the the pro career uh, made it to the big leagues. Uh, played for a few years uh, in the Philly system, and then uh, uh, made it to over to Milwaukee for a year. Uh, left baseball at the ripe old age of thirty after some injuries, and uh, moved into uh, ministry with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes for a couple of years, and then uh, and then finished up my business degree back at school as I had left school early to to play uh, chase my pro career, and then. Uh, Launched into uh, leadership development training and really focusing in on, on behaviors and helping leaders to understand uh, behaviors that are working well, not working well. Did that for a number of years until my sons were old enough. I needed to be at home more to coach them and not be on the road consulting. So I uh, went back to my degree plan, opened up a business uh, through Morgan Stanley, uh, worked for them for 12 years, uh, built a, a, a billion-dollar asset management business with with Morgan. Uh, pulled out of Morgan Stanley, opened up her own shop in 2016, which also allowed me to then come back and really focus in on behavioral development with leaders. I'd been doing that the entire time uh, through Teamalytics. And uh, it was a background there with uh, a gentleman that asked me to help uh, build the corporate and sports side of his company. And so we did a lot of work with uh, player development work, um, looking at at athletes that uh, were going into the draft, doing analysis for major league teams, NFL teams, so did that for about 25 years and, and now brings me up to this point. And then uh, a long way built, of course, that, that financial wealth management business that my middle son runs. So uh, that's basically my business career. Uh, kind of the joy of my life is my wife of 34 years, uh, Christina, and uh, my three sons, Carson, Connor, and Casey, who are now 30, 28, 26. So uh, just loving life, Michael. I'm in a great spot with our kids being out working now and kind of getting to see the fruit of, uh, of raising up three boys and, and my wife and I just are loving life at the moment.
0: Well, congratulations on all of that. So to tie that up as succinctly as possible, you've been very successful in many different endeavors, athletic, family, business, and really dedicated yourself to sharing so many of the lessons, behaviors, techniques, and behavior—I said behaviors, but yeah. the word I was really looking for was um, habits—that have led you to the success you've had.
1: Yeah, Michael, I think that's a great way to term it. You know, I—I I grew up in a in a middle class home uh, down in the Houston area, and uh, you know, I we just didn't have a lot of money, so whatever I was able to to do on my own. And, and I, I built a lawn mowing business and, and landscaping business at the age of 11. By the time I was 18, I had 30 customers and, and had made enough money to buy my car and, and really uh, save some money for college. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of that self-starter kind of mentality and the disciplined approach to, to life, you know, having to get up, uh, as you know, playing summer baseball, I was getting up at five 36 o'clock in the morning to get my yard work done so I could serve my customers well and then have a little bit of a break in between like two and four o'clock to rest and uh, get ready for baseball that evening. So I I played, uh, gosh, when I was young, I played multiple leagues. So I couldn't get enough of it. You know, I uh, just, just had a huge passion for, for playing the game. And, and so uh, from a, yeah, just from a very, very early age, I had great parents who taught me a great work ethic and uh, just didn't give me anything. They said, Hey, whatever you, Want to do? That's that's uh, you know you'll you'll be on your own making your own money and we'll support you, but but uh, you got to get after it. So uh, that really kind of helps set the stage for a lot of the things I've I've done in life.
0: It's a amazing framework. Earn it, make it your own right from the very beginning. You mentioned your parents. I would honestly, I think there's like five different one hour conversations I'd love to have with you about different stages. Uh, I'm a big baseball fan. I grew up, I played baseball through high school, so I'm not going to begin to compare baseball experiences. But certainly, uh, I would love to still be friends. But when you were playing, I was like in my prime, like young growing up watching baseballs in in those same years. Um, But what I would love to do in regards to baseball is actually talk about some of the experience you had playing for different coaches. Because I imagine a lot of the early lessons you learned, both good and bad, from coaches that you played for apply to how you support senior leaders through team analytics, apply to how you still coach both your own, while your own kids are out now, but I know you're still involved with coaching baseball, different leagues and such. So what are some of the most important lessons that you learned from your coaches that you still apply today?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Michael. Uh, You know, I, I think that the easiest answer I could come up with is the coaches that that helped me the most were the ones who developed a relationship with me that I felt they cared about me maybe even more so off the field than they did on the field. And, and of course, you know, the exact opposite approach was coaches I played for that were all about themselves, all about winning, all about, you know, trying to, you know, pad their resume. And uh, you, you could quickly sense that, you know, with, with some of the coaches you play for. And I certainly did in my experience, my career, but uh, I've got, lifelong relationships with guys that coached me uh, going back to little league days, you know, still I've got a little league coach that, uh, that mentored me all the way through high school. And, um, and I just knew he, he loved me, loved my family. You know, we, we would hang out in the summers and uh, his son and my, and and me were, were great friends. And, and so, but I I look back, even on my college career, my pro career, there were, there were those few coaches who uh, took the time to develop a relationship and really find out more about me, what made me tick, you know, what were my motivators, my demotivators, what behaviors worked well, what didn't, you know, that those are the ones that invested in me that uh, really made a difference.
0: Silly story. So again, baseball comparison, I'm the proud coach of t-ball and coach pitch teams in my little town, right? So let's get the comparison straight. Olympic t-ball coach, right? But um, go to a friend of mine who I have coached with two years ago was playing another team in a playoff game again between six year olds. So let's take it for what it is. But the other coach was walking around the field, literally screaming at his kids. I need you to get me some outs. Yeah. Because the way the games were scored was assuming the game was tied by runs. Whoever got the most outs in the field was the winner. That was like the tiebreaker in this little league. So he's running around literally screaming at his kids. I need you to get me outs. Again, from your perspective, who's, obviously, who's that about? Is that about the kids learning and having fun? Or is that about the coach feeling like he's getting what he wants? Well, Stuart, who has become a friend and I've coached with, and he does an amazing job with his team. When he realized during the le- during the season that his kids needed motivation to get outs in the field, his thing was, if you get in out in the field, you can hit any coach you want with a shaving cream pie in the face <laughs> after the game. So when well, his team was the underdog, they weren't, the better team. But while the other coach is yelling at his kids, you need to get me out. He's cheering his kids on. He's encouraging his team. He's like, who's going to make the next play. Who's in the ready position. Who's paying attention, like getting the kids ready to make the play. And they ended up winning by getting two defensive outs in the last inning. And all the coaches took a pie in the face as they won the championship that year out in the outfield. That that distinction that you talk about is so critically important And I do want to call attention to a book that you wrote, and I have read, thank you very, very much for it, More Than the Score. And I would love to open it up to you because coaching youth sports is a passion of mine, really supporting kids in general is a passion of mine. And I would love to open it up to you and ask you to share some of the biggest lessons you have for parents and coaches as they begin to shepherd their children through youth sports, knowing that. Maybe one of them might end up playing in the Olympics or at the major league level. But for the rest of us, there are so many important life lessons we're going to get from it.
1: Yeah. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm honored you would read the book. Thank you for doing that. And uh, yeah, it was written for 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 guys like you and uh, for coaches, parents of of youth athletes. And, you know, when I when I was thinking about the title it, for me, looking back on now 40 years of experience of either playing ball or, or coaching it, uh, it's exactly that you know what what is the perspective that we're going into uh with our kids and that that really does make the difference you know going back to the 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 story you just told you know is it is the game about us is it about me is it about uh, you know me getting whatever I can out of it and 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 using my kids to do that or is it about the kids and that's really the one of the very first chapters in the book is the game belongs to the kids and And that's what the perspective we have to go into it, knowing that our job is to is to shepherd, is to facilitate creating a great environment uh, for those young people to perform in. And and it's not just about performance; it's about the relationships, the things that they're going to learn from the game. You know, the character development, as you and I were talking earlier uh, offline. It's the character development, the things that are that the that you know I took from the game that helped me after I was done playing at the age of thirty one. I was done. I got the rest of my life to live. And all those lessons I learned on the field with coaches, those relationships have incredibly benefited me in, in the world of business. And so, you know, you, you think about um, even just some of the easy things that kids learn, like how to be competitive, you know, how to, how to play with a team, how to honor your teammates, how to sacrifice for your teammates. All those things are going to carry over in life. And that's the thing I think we as coaches and parents need to focus on. What, what are our kids learning from the game that's going to benefit them forever. And so the conversations I had with my three sons after they played various sports and they, they were all different. My my oldest son was a hockey player played collegiately. My younger two sons were baseball football players played collegiate baseball. My youngest son went on to play professional baseball, but I can tell you, Michael, all of our conversations after the games uh, were not necessarily focused on their performance. We did talk about that because I wanted to help them adjust and, and, and get better at their, at their craft. But it was really about, hey, what did you learn? You know, in that situation when that umpire made a bad call, what did you learn from that? How did you how did you approach that umpire? You know, how did you honor that umpire? Um, you know, if your coach pulled you out of a game or you weren't starting that day, you know, what were you thinking? How did you handle that? You know, how did you leverage that to, to get yourself better for uh, the next game? You know, we, we talked about those things. Those were the things I wanted my sons uh, to get from the game. And I know you do the same, right? We want our kids to to be wildly successful but the question always comes down for us as parents, uh, are we an asset or are we a liability? Are we encouraging them? Are we building a great environment for them to, to, to enjoy the game, to have fun, to perform well? Or are we getting in the way by the yelling, the screaming, the, the, you know, the, uh, the way parents sometimes even from the stands will interfere with their kids' performance by putting extra pressure on them? You know? So yeah, all those things are talked about in the book. And I get a lot of those experiences and lessons that I learned. Because, uh, look, at the end of the day, I made plenty of mistakes. My wife will tell you that. <laughs> she was sitting next to me. She'd tell you all the times I messed it up. But I think the most important thing is how are we learning from that? How are we walking with our kids through those, those circumstances and, and those experiences? Because at the end of the day, Michael, I've seen too many parents get to where their, their kids are 17 and 18, some of the age kids now that I coach today, and uh, the parents have gotten in the way. And now the, the, the relationship with their kids is broken and the pressure on them to earn a college scholarship, you know, which are, those are so hard to achieve. If that if that's the goal, if, if you're driving your kid towards a college scholarship or to be a professional player, you have got the wrong perspective. You need to check yourself. And I'd love for you to just read about some of the experiences I've I've had. And, and uh, that book uh, has plenty of stories in it.
0: It did. Lots of great examples. I recommend it, and I'm going to include a link to it in the show notes. So for people who are interested, they can find it, I definitely recommend reading it specifically for that perspective from My son's still young. So as, as, as I get him through it, he's what he understands and how he sees things is still developing, but to your point, developing good habits, developing discipline, supporting your teammates at the start of every practice or every game, talking about what it means to be a good teammate. Why are we really out here to have fun, to take care of each other, to you know, to listen, to do all these things when kids are asking the school about who's winning, who cares? We're six. Let's, let's focus on making the next play. Let's focus on hitting the next pitch. Let's focus on doing the little things right and and building those habits and those experiences for me. And this is more of a school thing and less of a, a sports thing. But when I pick my son up from school and he's starting the first grade this year, I ask him three questions every day. What was the most fun part of your day? What did you learn? And who did you help? Those are the only three questions I ask him and Of course, as he started, it was, I don't know, I can't remember, recess. (laughs) Right, (laughs) Those are the answers I would expect. But as his kindergarten year went on, and even through the summer now, he's got better answers to that. And those are the things that he's focusing on. And the harder conversations become easier. Because after we have that conversation, often he'll open up and talk about mistakes that he made or things that he did or what the teacher had to talk to him for. And now we can work through that. And it's not this punitive conversation. It's this helping conversation. Right. I don't want negatives to be goals. At the same time, semi humorously, but also true, I don't want to be the dad that causes his kid to hate school, and I don't want to be the coach that causes anybody to hate the sport that I'm coaching. Amen. That's right. Don't ruin it for them. Just support them and let them choose their own direction.
1: That's exactly right, Michael. And I think you know if you've been through it for any length of time, you come to understand that you know we're not we're not the givers of talent right? I mean, that, that comes from above. And and so what I always remind parents and, and even the players I coach today is look, you've, you've been given a gift. It, it's what you do with it. That's going to make the difference. And, you know, for parents to understand too, that uh, gosh, the the talent to reach those levels, to reach even high school ball, right? If, if your kid has talent to reach that level, our job is to encourage them to be the best they can with that talent that was given. Uh, and then beyond that college and pro ball, I mean, the, the, the chances of our kids making it to that level are so small. Uh, my focus was always on, hey, what kind of talent do you have, and how are you how are you working hard for developing that talent and maximizing what you've been given. That that was always the focus for us was the process and and them working hard, learning those great habits of discipline and uh, getting up early, getting to the gym before school. You know, making sure that they uh, they were tending to their their studies, but also Doing the things that they needed to do to be successful in their their particular sport, and and like like you, Michael, we backed off. We wanted our kids to have fun. I wanted my kids to enjoy the game, and uh, I, I I wasn't the the provider of the gift of the talent that came from God. All I could do was encourage them to use uh, to to work hard and work towards uh, developing that talent.
0: And I believe to take that point even further for parents and for coaches as well. You have three rules for reaping what you sow, if I recall correctly. <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
1: yeah, you know it's it's uh, when you look back at at kind of the farming analogy that I used in my book. You know, uh, obviously, you know farmers are going to plant, right? They're going to water, and then they're going to harvest. And so the, the rules really can't be violated, even when we're we're talking about our kids. And you know, when you think think about the seeds of of what they've been given, you know, our job is to is to water those seeds and to do the best that we can to encourage them to to walk in that in, in that talent, those seeds that they've been given. Then the harvest comes, obviously, it, you know, you and I have already talked about this. It's not in the wins and losses. The harvest is going to come when our kids are on their own in college, you know, what kind of leader are they? Are they living clean lives? Are they, are they working towards their goals in in, in school? Are are they are they uh leading others well i mean those are the things that that we really focused on we wanted our kids to uh to excel at those areas The the wins and losses take care of themselves you know if, if you're if, in sports especially if you're disciplined and you're working at your at your talent to develop it you know the wins should be the byproduct of, of what you're doing on a daily basis to improve yourself um and so that's what uh we you know talked about with our sons we wanted the emphasis to the emphasis to be on not looking at results not looking at output but let's focus on what you've been given let's uh, develop those seeds let's keep watering and let's see what uh, what god does with that in the future if, if you have a chance to play at a high level man that's awesome you know but if you had a chance to play at a high level and you didn't develop that talent shame on you that that's that's uh, something you were given that you didn't develop or like a lot of kids today the challenges of of uh getting on you know playing too much video games right or too much social media, or now kids battling you know, drug and alcohol use. I mean, those are the things that's going to rob uh, those, those seeds. Those those will unplant the seeds, right? And so uh, our job as parents is to really be aware of what's going on and help them to negotiate through some of those challenges. And that's what we'll uh, when we get to the side. We'll see what the sunshine does with those seeds and that watering.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I do have selfishly, I've got a question for you as a dad and a coach. What were some of the techniques, best practices, things that work the best that you've seen when kids didn't want to practice. Because I don't want to force it. I don't want to ruin it. But at the same time, sometimes as a dad and a coach, I look out at kids and I'm like, you know, if you just spent like an hour a week practicing, I'm not talking about anything crazy. Like the difference in your output, the difference in your skill ability on the field or on the mat would be so much different. So looking back, do you have anything that seemed to work well to encourage kids to practice without, you know, ruling with an iron hand and just ruining the sport for them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Michael, that's a great question today, especially with these kids schedules. It's so crazy. Everything is so scheduled out for them. And then, you know, our mindset, you know, we'll, uh, as, as coaches, you know, we'll, I even still go online today to see, Hey, what are the newest techniques? What are the newest drills? You know, what, what can I teach the kids about, you know, at my level, it's spin rates and launch angles and arm arm angle rates. I mean, it's just, all these technical aspects and and man we can get so caught up in that stuff you know even as parents and, and coaches and you know you got to ask yourself why do the kids play a game because they want to have fun they want to play the game to have fun that that's their motivation and when we make it not fun that's when they lose interest and so even when the kids were young I, when my sons were 8 9 10 years old you know we get out to practice of course I want them to work on some drills and and learn some new skills will We'll work on that for the first part of practice. And then the last part of practice, always, I played scrimmage games. I wanted the kids to enjoy the game, have fun, compete. Uh, At the end of the day, man, if you go through a two-hour practice and those kids don't get to play and have fun, man, that's not a good practice. So uh, I think structuring those practices and and really making it fun where the kids get up and, you know, I had kids that would literally run out of their parents' cars to get to the practice field to say, hey, coach, you know, how much time do we have for scrimmages today? You know, so they're, they're asking those questions that they should clue you in. That's that's what they want to do. They just want to go out and have fun and play the games. So we got to think of some some ways for them to do that. And even in practices, we would have, we would do fun stuff. I do egg tosses. I do balloon tosses. I mean, we we just have a great time with the kids to make it an enjoyable place where they, where they wake up the next day. They're looking forward to coming to practice because they know they're going to have fun.
0: I'm so happy to hear you say that. And when my wife listens to this, she's going to pause it. Her eyes are going to roll and she's going to lecture me. (laughs) Because one of the things she does so well with Gabriel is she makes things fun for him. So he'll want to do it. And I like to think that I do that, but clearly I haven't. So for me, when I think like, For all the ups and downs I had with my father when we were growing up, even when things were at like the lowest or the hardest, we could grab our baseball gloves and we could pick up a football and we could go play catch in the yard. And maybe we didn't talk, but we were creating that bond and we had that relationship. We, We were out there doing that. So for me, I think, okay, Gabe, let's practice throwing. I've got my glove and ball. You've got your glove and ball. Come on, let's go. And then it's you know, I'm trying to help him again, consider his age, right? So just little things like release point, point your fingers at me. Let's look where you're throwing the ball, little things. But if it's, if I'm coaching too much and he's not having fun. So now like I'm literally thinking, well, I've got that net that he can hit and throw into. What if I put pictures of things on the net and his job was to aim and hit those pictures and now I'm making it fun. So you're already helping my son through this conversation. Thank you very much. But I do think that often as coaches, it's easy to lose the focus on fun. And I'm not saying become militant about winning, but become focused on coaching. This is the skill I want you to learn. This is the technique I want you to be able to execute. This is the awareness I want you to have. And finding ways to coach that and make it fun so it sticks with a kid is different than working with an adult or somebody who already understands the game to some degree.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right, Michael. and at the age level, I coach now 16-, 17-year-olds. You know, we we have a term. We call them showcase kids. And what you, you're seeing in the game today is you've got kids who have learned all these different techniques and skills, and they can go to a showcase event, which is not a, a team sport. It's where they, they're they individually showcasing their talents in front of scouts and college coaches. And you've got uh, literally college coaches, will call them showcase players. Like they're great individually. They got the perfect swing. They got the great launch angle. And what we're hearing more and more from coaches is these kids don't know how to play the game. They don't understand the nuances. Like you and I, when we were young, man, we had the greatest wiffle ball games, right? Oh, we'd goodness. go to the park, we'd put together the the, the, the game, we, we'd pick our teams, we'd play. Kids don't do that today. Everything is so structured. And so what we're finding out is, is that kids need to play the games and be in a competitive environment to learn how to play the game, not just be a showcase player. And so, uh, you know, all the. All the private lessons and, and all the the stuff that's going on today, hey, that's great. And I say, if your kids got talent and you want to invest in that talent, help them develop in that way, go get them. And and I did the same thing with my kids. We I I hired a hitting coach. I wasn't the greatest hitter, but I wanted them to have a good hitting coach, and I I could see them developing those skills and doing those things. That's important. But you still got to let the kids play the game and have fun and play those scrimmage games at practice and learn how to play the game. That that's what was is uh, we think is missing a lot in today's sports.
0: I would agree even from my limited perspective. And I would also would guess that that that's true in other sports besides baseball, football, oh, basketball, yeah. hockey, other sports, and even outside of sports it's probably true in music. It's probably true in theater. It's probably true in other environments where people, okay, you can play an instrument super well, but can you play in a band? Can you play in the orchestra? Can you play in a group? Like So it's one thing to develop individual talent. And to your point, please, if you've got it, develop it. But now, how are we developing that in a way where we're also developing the greater awareness of how to function within a team environment, whatever that team or group is, to help other people become successful, to achieve greater goals, and to make people around us better, as opposed to continue with baseball, just develop that Ken Griffey Jr. swing, whether or not anybody on my team wants to play with me or not.
1: Yeah, no doubt, Michael. I'm glad you made that that transference from sport to, to business, because that's exactly what the studies are telling us. That's exactly what we're seeing. You know, I've got the great privilege to teach leadership at Harvard business school. And uh, that's exactly what we're hearing from professors. We get the smartest, brightest kids that are coming into to school and they, the, the, the skills that they lack are teamwork. You know, how do they work together? How do they build teams? How do they grow teams? How do they help people get better? How do they, how do they identify behaviors that are working, not working They'll, those are the things that we're seeing that are deficits in the business world. It's because all this focus on me, right? It's the social media stuff. It's, it's the, it's the, uh, the kids not getting together and just doing social activities together and learning how to, how to build those, those great social skills. So those are the deficits that we're seeing it's carrying over into, into the business world. And, and so that's why you and I have, have jobs today in helping teams develop behaviorally, right? Asking the right questions and and building great teams and looking for, how do we develop leaders, right? How do we identify behaviors that are, that are getting in the way of our performance? And that's that's exactly what we're seeing today. So, uh, so, yeah, whatever we can teach our kids and use sports as a platform to leverage up teaching those skills, man, are they going to be so far ahead of the pack when they uh, get out of college?
0: For sure. And let's make that pivot to talking about business, because I could talk about coaching kids sports all day long with you. I want more notes and ideas for helping my son, not to get better, just to enjoy the experience. But we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, but you and I both, like you said, have there's an overlap in what we do, supporting executives and, and coaching CEOs and such. And earlier this year, I was leading a group of CEOs in Orlando and you know how it is. You give a break and they scatter and trying to give them back from break and reorganize. So I was able to get them all reorganized. And one of them looked at me kind of surprised and said, where did you learn how to do that? And I smiled and I said, coaching (laughs) T-ball. Because in so many ways, coaching CEOs and coaching little kids is analogous. From attention span to focus to want to do what they're having fun with or what they enjoy the most. And like all, there's probably too many analogies to share that might offend CEO. So I don't want to get too far into it, but there's plenty of them there. So as we make the transition, your work with Teamalytics, your work with Harvard Business School, I know you have many high-end clients that you serve. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned from coaching at any level, sports, that you now apply to drive the same results and outcomes that you're looking for on the business side?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest uh, things that I've learned, and, and I knew this about myself too, Michael, coming out of pro sports and into business, I had a a mentor who got a hold of me early on in that transition, and. Man, that was the the best thing that happened to me in 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 terms of of moving from sports to business because I needed somebody who could speak truth into my life. And at that point, you know, coming off a, a sports field where everything was was designed and behaviorally for me to be aggressive, to you know, to be a good teammate, but also I was paid to win ball games, and so everything was focused on winning and driving you know my myself towards that success. And and so my behaviors. Uh, on the field are much different today, right? <laughs> if I make a comparison. And the biggest thing that I've received from that was the feedback and the mentoring. And the, and really, I call it the discipleship of having somebody who could speak into my life, tell me the truth, uh, not blow smoke. And so what I've learned with speaking to CEOs and, and C-suite leaders and, and beyond is that a lot of folks at that level, Michael, you know this to be true, they're not told the truth. They're told things that people want them to hear, not things that they need to hear. And so we get to come in as from an outside point of view and tell them the things that they really need to hear. And uh, from a behavioral standpoint, I have an assessment that we use uh, through Teamalytics, and it's a behavioral profile. It's a 360 profile. So it really helps me to understand how that leader sees himself or herself behaviorally versus how the people around them experience them as a leader. I mean, I call that my master truth teller. That, that gives me insight into what's really going on behaviorally. You know, and I'll give you a quick example. I've got a leader who uh, has built a great team, uh, super, super smart people. I mean, he's surrounded himself with some of the best of the best in their industry. And uh, this leader kind of operates from that command control mindset. You know, he's an older leader. And, uh, you know, he's he's constantly trying to tell them how to do their jobs. And it's very frustrating. Now the team uh, was not giving him that feedback, and so when we did the assessment, we sat down in our first team session. You know, we pull up the data, we share it, and that leader's going, well, "Wait a minute, uh, why are you guys seeing me as a low nurturing leader?" And they also, "Well, because uh, you you are." And he's like, "Well, well, why didn't you guys tell me this? I mean, I, I would have liked to have had the opportunity to change that. I don't want to be a low nurturing leader." <laughs> he said. Well, we we would have told you but every time we try to give you feedback you snap at us you react you're you're harsh you're overly scrutinizing and so the really cool thing was Michael this leader is 62 years old and he said in the meeting gosh nobody has ever given me that feedback. I've never had the chance to grow that. And my response to him was well sweetheart today's your lucky day, right? <laughs> Today you get to do something about it. But but man that that's the the beauty and the blessing of having people in your life that will tell you the truth. And, and so that requires that relational capital to be built. And a lot of leaders just don't know how to do that. They're not trained to do that. They're, they're they're skilled and experts in what they do, but they're not experts in their behavior and how that behavior plays itself out in a team environment.
0: Amen. By default, by their own education, their own success, their own expertise, like this, the result of very good things in their life Often lead people at the top levels of organizations to assume that people will bring them what they need, or to expect people to conform to what they need or how they communicate, instead of focusing on creating the communication experiences that other people need in
1: That's order
0: right. to feel comfortable opening up and being vulnerable and sharing the truth at that time. So your example is perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Michael, and I know. Say, look, some of the language is has gotten, I think, hijacked. You know, we, we hear you've got to create these safe spaces, you can't trigger people. I think those are hijack words because I, I just don't like that terminology. What I like to say is, look, as leaders, we are responsible for creating that environment. Now, now, that environment needs to be a nurturing environment to the point where you have connections and you're building depth with people, because if you don't do that, they're not going to be comfortable in giving you that feedback. And so I want to build an environment that's that's highly competitive, that that does things in an excellent way. We set those standards. We don't violate those standards. We do we deal with it. But we also have to build that environment where as as leaders, we are, we are allowing our people around us to tell us the truth. And if we're not doing that, that's on us, on us as leaders, because we have not done the hard work on the front end to build those connections, to build that depth for the people around us to be comfortable enough, as you said, to give us that feedback. So that's exactly right. I I don't care what you call it or how you term it. But as leaders, we're responsible for building that type of environment.
0: I don't know that more important words have been spoken when it comes to creating open communication environments within organizations. It's not incumbent upon other people to be truthful with us. It's incumbent upon us to create the environment where they're willing to be truthful with us. That involves being vulnerable. That involves taking risk. That involves, in all religious connotations aside, experiencing trust versus faith. I'm not taking a blind leap here. I've actually seen things from you that tell me I can trust you in this environment And all too many times leaders are focused on their expertise or on driving revenue, increasing margin on what the next technology is, the next crisis that they have to prepare for. And at their level of the organization, they're supposed to be. But we often make decisions. We often make the best available decision or what we believe to be the best available decision based on the information we have at the time. That's right. We often get that information by asking people questions. And if we haven't set up the right communication environment, if we're not over time treating people in a way, asking them questions and responding to their answers in a way where they're comfortable giving us the information we need to make the best decision. We're making suboptimal decisions without realizing. That's right.
1: That's right. And I call simply, Michael, it's the who before the what. Right. And I'm going to put myself as a leader on the same side of the table as the people I'm surrounding myself with to help us achieve something. I do the same thing when it comes to working with our athletes. I want them to know I'm for them. I want what's in their best interest. I want them to take the talent that they've been given to be able to accelerate that talent and to grow and become what they were designed to be. I want the people I work with on my team to feel that same thing. And if I haven't done that work of putting myself on the side of the table with them to say, look, I'm with you. I want to help you. I want to support you. I just need to know how to best do that, right? I need to know your motivators. I need to know what demotivates you, right? So that is that that takes some time to develop. But man, when I when I see that happen within a team framework, Michael, those are the highest performing teams that I have the the, the great honor to work with. When leaders realize that they they can create those types of environments and they can operate with a high degree of excellence, with high expectations, those are the teams that optimize over and over again. Those are the teams that are out competing their competitors. The ones that, that are demanding, that are overly scrutinizing, that have high turnover because they're just so hard to deal with, over the course of time, they will not sustain performance. We see it in sports with with kids,
0: and we see it in, in the boardrooms in, in big companies. It's the perfect way to tie it all together. And I know you've got a tight schedule today, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I am beyond hopeful that we can find another time down the road to continue this conversation because I feel like there are miles of content that we could talk about that we haven't even started yet. I really appreciate that. So for the people that are interested in connecting and learning more about what you and your team does, where should they look? Yeah.
1: So uh, go to teamalytics.com. That's the, the company I'm with. Uh, obviously, you can find me, uh, Pat Combs, pat.combs at teamalytics.com. And then uh, obviously, if you want to order a copy of the book, Michael, I know you'll make that available, but they can find that at any major uh, retailer. It's more than the score and uh, would look forward to any conversations, Michael. This is a, a treat for me, an honor for me. I, I love your book. I've learned so much just from reading your materials as well. So I would uh, absolutely love to come on with you again at some point.
0: We will do it. I promise. I appreciate that. Thank you. But there's so many things I want to pick your brain about business and sports. So hopefully we'll have that chance down the road. Thank you so much. Take care of yourself. Good luck weather in that Texas summer. I look forward to seeing you soon.
1: Thank you, Michael. Blessings to you, man. Bye-bye.
0: Take care. Pat, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. What a conversation. So many ideas and examples packed into one short conversation. I can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much for joining us. From talking about coaching youth sports, expectations for parents and coaches, how to make the opportunity the most impactful for our children. Selfishly for me, I've already got ideas on how I'm going to change practicing baseball and jujitsu with my son. So thank you for getting me to think more about how to make it fun as opposed to how to get the technique stick. I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. The examples for parenting, coaching, business, so many things there. We really appreciate it, Pat. Thank you very much for taking the time. And for everybody who listened, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Please do the things that algorithms ask us to do. Like the show, share the show, comment on the show, follow us. Please, we really do appreciate it. We want to hear your feedback. What do you like? What don't you like? What would you like to hear more or less of? What should we change? We're always looking to evolve and adapt the show. And we're truly grateful for your feedback. Thank you for sharing it. And of course, on the way out, we got to make sure we thank our sponsors one more time. Humantel, when you have the time, check out humantel.com. And after you've read their blogs and watched their videos and explored their training, enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off their best-in-class training, self-paced online training, for how to identify what somebody is likely thinking and feeling based on their emotional shifts and mindset changes we can identify through their facial expressions and nonverbal communication within the context of the conversation and situation. That's humantel.com. The code is in 25. Check them out. Emotional Intelligence Magazine, -magazine EI-magazine.com is the place to go. For all of their webinars, articles, blogs, podcasts, interviews, books, the whole nine, everything you want to know about emotional intelligence is right there for you. And of course, for the professional interviewers, head over to CertifiedInterviewer.com to learn more about the International Association of Interviewers and the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. Check out their resources for interviewers, their networking opportunities, their sponsors, their training events explore whether membership is right for you to the organization as well as what it takes to become a certified forensic interviewer if you qualify and if it's right for you at this point in your career. That's certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers. Once again, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this week. We truly appreciate it. Stay safe. Take care of each other. We'll see you next week. Thank you.